much as we can uh, from the text, from the scriptures. Uh, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts, into our lives, into our minds as we read this text. And we just want this, this text to come alive in our hearts. Uh, we, we truly want to just, just know what, what God wants us to, to see and what he wants us to read as we read the, these particular passages. Now, we can't obviously, like, like we, to, to cover every single word and do a word study on every single word and go back to the original Greek and understand why he said it and how he said it and what tense it's in. Like, obviously, we don't have quite that much time, enough time to do that. We would be on this for years. Uh, and so we're, we are doing broad strokes, but I would encourage you, uh, and I hope you're doing this, I would encourage you to, to get into the word more during the week. Continue to read Colossians. Continue to read up on what we've already covered and what we're going to continue to cover in the coming weeks uh, and months ahead. And so uh, spend some time there. Uh, I think we do still have a few scripture journals left. They're at the VIP cart. Uh, so if you didn't get a scripture journal and you want one of those, go ahead and stop by the VIP cart and they'll, they'll hook you up with that uh, on your way out. But, but we do have some more of those. We want to make sure that everybody has access to those if you can. Uh, we think those are going to be a great tool as you've been walking through this just to keep your notes and everything in one place and also has the scripture off to the side. So last week we covered what I consider to be one of, if not the most important Christological passages in the Bible. Uh, we were looking at Colossians uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. That's what we were covering last week. And, and this text is so rich. Like, it's incredibly rich. And it's so rich as it pertains to Jesus specifically, to who Jesus is. He is, Scripture tells us, the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. All things were created by him and for him. And, and in him, all things hold together. So we talked about last week, what a passage to give the height and the depth and the width of Jesus. He's not only Savior, he's also Creator. He's not only the mediator, but by his word, the entire universe is being literally held together. He is the beginning and the end, the firstborn from the dead, the head of the church. Our Jesus is more than just a suffering Savior. He is supreme. Scripture tells us he is preeminent. He deserves our praise and honor today. Can somebody give him some praise and honor in the house this morning? morning. That's our Jesus. That's, that's what we talked about last week. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. If you weren't here last week, you got you to go read it. You don't, don't, you don't have to listen to it, whatever. It, it, I'm sure it's online. But, but just go back and read those five verses and just allow them uh, to just, just, just let them saturate your soul. So, okay, as, as I was thinking about the message from last week, though, and I was spending some time on, on Monday prepping for Theology on Tap, which is one of our summer missional communities here um, at, at Legacy, uh, I thought about the heavy emphasis of Christology in this particular passage. And I thought about how many people simply do not have a solid grasp and understanding of Jesus. Like a lot of people think this, and this is not true. His, his role didn't begin in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And his role didn't end when he ascended into heaven some 40 days after he was raised from the dead. We cannot reduce our Jesus down to 33 years of life on earth and only three short years of ministry. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And our passage last week said that all things will be reconciled back to him in the end. But, but as I thought about how, uh, how, how so many do not have a full grasp on Jesus, I thought about how there are so many misconceptions about God the Father. And I was thinking, if you're going to truly understand Jesus correctly, we need to just take a minute to talk about God, the Father. We need to understand, because after all, it says in verse 19, it says, it says that they are one. 
All right, it's that we're, we're talking about how God himself and the fullness of who he is dwells in Jesus. So yeah, we're gonna, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to backtrack just a little bit here this morning. And we're going to, because I, I feel like, honestly, we didn't, get a, we didn't get enough time to fully cover verses 19 and 20. And so we're going to backtrack just a little bit, and we're going to hit those two again. And, uh, and I want to talk a little bit about some misconceptions uh, about God the Father that I, I think is worth our time to discuss. So let's read verse 19 to start with. Uh, For in him all the fullness of God, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. There's so much there, and then we covered some of it last week, but, but let's, let's talk about this for a second. Because if we're talking about all the fullness of God dwelling in Jesus, then let's, let's, let's check out a couple of misconceptions I think that we've, that we've had and that maybe some of us in this room either believe or have believed um, about God and, and why, why some of these are incorrect. Um, and so you can write these down if you want. Uh, here's the first one. Uh, God is the man upstairs. Big guy upstairs. Right? The implication here, this, this is the implication I take away from that. The implication is that God is aloof. Right? Like he's not listening. Your, your prayers are like stuffed in a box somewhere, and he'll possibly read them someday if he gets around to it. Like God's up there doing his thing, and we're down here doing our thing, right? And, and so if you've, if you've thought that, if you've said that, or even if you believe that, I'm going to get a little corrective here for just a moment. That belief absolutely destroys your ability to understand and love God correctly. Because God is not aloof. God's presence is right here, right now. In this place, at this moment. I can feel it when we sing. I, I, can, I can feel his, his presence when the word is discussed and preached because God honors his word and, and the very spirit and essence of God is here in this theater. And if you believe that God is aloof, you won't be able to understand him. And, and if you don't understand him, then you won't be able to understand Jesus because scripture says all of the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. Here's the second misconception about, about God the Father. It's that he has a white beard. This is uh, my, my kids, um, that my kids think that every bearded person uh, in, a, in a robe is Jesus. Like they just kind of have this mindset. We're, we're reading books that have nothing to do <laughs> with scripture. And there's, you know, a bearded man in, in what might look like a robe or a tunic. And that's immediately Jesus. Well, for some of us, we have this mindset, this mental picture of who God is, and he is this old man in a white robe with a white beard and probably like a cane or a staff of some sort. He's just some old guy. Like, I don't know, he's just, he's just up there. He's got a white beard, and he's just he's thinking about stuff, and he's eating some Werther's Originals, and he's, he's playing checkers and all the stuff. That, that old guys do. That's how we feel. That's how we think sometimes. We wouldn't say that out loud, but that's how our, our minds situate. The problem with the implication that God is old or that God used to care is it shows a misunderstanding of God in general. God is outside of time. Time as we know it is a temporary construct that God has attached to the universe. And someday when, 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 when that's over and all of us, Lord willing, are in heaven celebrating with him, we will no longer have minutes 
or hours or, or days or any, any other construct of time because that is a concept that God has created as a function of his narrative purpose to bring reconciliation to the universe. God is outside of time. And God's beard doesn't grow. Because, A, God doesn't have a beard. I, I, don't, I don't know that for, I'm just, I just don't, I don't know that God has a beard. But even if he did, B, even if he did, it wouldn't grow any longer and it surely wouldn't grow gray because God does not, because time does not impact God. The feeling of getting older, uh, God has never once experienced outside of his knowledge of how Jesus Christ felt during the 33 years he was on earth because time does not pertain to God in any way. And if we have a misconception about who God is, we surely can't understand Jesus because all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. So that's a misconception about God. Here's the third one. God is always angry at everybody. I've heard that one. Like, God's always so angry. Why is God so angry? The implication there, of course, is that, that God's not with the times. Right? He's not with the current, current times and culture. God's rude. Have you ever noticed that people, they, they kind of, uh, of genuinely, genuinely think that God's sort of like a cosmic version of their earthly father. And so if, if, if their own dad was aloof, not listening, would, would say things like, hey, I'll be in the garage, don't knock on the door unless you're bleeding. If he's that kind of dad, then then we think that that's what God's like. Sorry, that's, that's incorrect. That's false. That's not biblical. That's not true. It creates in you a misconception about who God is. It creates in you a misconception about how God forgives. It creates in you a misconception of understanding God on any level because God isn't your dad. Whether he was wonderful or terrible, whether he was there or not there, the, the concept of fatherhood is based on God, but, but is a poor reflection of him at best, this concept of earthly fatherhood. Because our God is a perfect father. So these are only three misconceptions uh, about God the Father, and, and any misconceptions about God the Father impacts people, especially in the case of them trying to understand who Jesus is, because as I've already said, and I think it bears repeating, all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus Christ. So let me switch gears. I just wanted to, I, I, had, I had some of those notes jotted down for, for the message last week because I wanted us to spend some time on that when we were talking through some of the Christological statements in the, in the, in the previous verses, but, but I want to start with that. But also wanna, I want to share this story with you as we dive into today's passage. On, on April 15th, 1912, um, I don't think any of us were alive at that point. On April 15th, 1912, uh, the Titanic struck an iceberg when going across the Atlantic Ocean on her maiden voyage and, and began to sink into these cold, icy waters. That infamous night saw a couple things happen. It saw... It, it, it saw the extremes of human behavior, right, from extreme cowardice to sacrificial love. Now, with the Titanic sinking and, and her lifeboats spread out over the frigid water with crying, drowning swimmers all around, the story was almost completely devoted to self-serving cowardice. You see, of the 1,600 people 
not able to make it into a lifeboat while on the Titanic. 1,600 people going into the icy, cold waters. Only 13 people were picked up by the 18 half-empty lifeboats that floated nearby. And in boat number five, the officer in charge, uh, he heard the cries of the drowning, freezing people, and he wanted to turn the boat around and save some. But he was convinced by his passengers that it was not worth losing their lives in an attempt to save other people. They floated there for an hour, listening to the cries and the wails of people only 300 yards away. The boat was only 60% full. The story was the same in most of the other boats. In boat, boat number two, also only 60% full, the officer asked if, if they should go back for people, and the ladies that were in the boat gave a resounding no. On boat number six, the situation was actually reversed, where the passengers wanted to rescue others, but the officer in charge refused. Of the 18 lifeboats, only one boat, boat number 14, returned to help. And this was an hour after the Titanic sank, when the thrashing crowd, in their words, had, had thinned out. To me, the personal drama of the sinking of the Titanic is a parable of a world gone wrong. Fallen humanity is, is adrift on the unfriendly sea alienated and unable to help one another, despite maybe a few individual isolated attempts. The wrongness, the brokenness of everything points to a fundamental problem of people's estrangement, our separation from each other and from God. It's a picture of a world in desperate need of reconciliation and, and the harmony and the rightness that that brings. Paul tells us in Romans 3 that, that the man is profoundly alienated from God and has been since the fall. We are in need of reconciliation. So let's read verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All right, so we talked about that word last week, reconcile. We talked about that word last week. We said that everything in the universe will be reconciled back to God except that which rejects him. In every reference to reconciliation in Scripture, every single reference that I can find in Scripture, in the New Testament, but the, the, the idea of reconciliation between God and man in the New Testament, it's God who actually takes the initiative. In Ephesians, Romans, and 2 Corinthians, we see that, that reconciliation to God is an explicitly one-sided process. He does virtually everything, and all we have to do is respond. It says God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. So salvation is God's joyous work. He loves it. And the Father's method of reconciliation is seen in two par parallel clauses from verses 20 and 22. We don't want to get too far ahead, but I want to point these out. Uh, verse 20, making peace by the blood of his cross. And then if you look ahead, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death. God's method is the death of Christ. That's his method of reconciliation. That's how it's going to come about. That's how it plays out. That's how we get to experience it is because uh, he, he, he does this. He, he allows Christ to die. Our personal reconciliation took nothing less than the death of God's son. And its effects went so far beyond any mere human death. In 2 Corinthians it says 
that, that is uh, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, <laughs> for our sake, a lot of times we think that the gospel is for somebody else. We think that, that, that this, the salvation is for other people. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Jesus bore the separation of sin so that reconciliation could take place. He made peace by the blood of the cross. He himself is our peace. It tells us in Ephesians 2.14. And, and verse 20 also invokes the cross. Right? It talks about this idea. Let me say this, church. The cross is the ultimate evidence that there is no length the love of God will refuse to go to bring reconciliation. Romans 8.32. He who uh, did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's God's pleasure to give you this. It's God's pleasure to provide reconciliation, to lay that out before you. It's his joy. And all we have to do is accept that. Let's read verse 20. Uh, through 20, 20, we already read 20, 20 through 28. And through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Verse 21, and you, you, like like not just the Colossians, but you sitting here and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Here's one. I want to give you the point and we're going to talk about it a little bit. I want you to write this down. This is kind of the, the big point for the day. I don't think I, I had the list at the beginning, but this is, this is the one big banner point. I want you to write this down. Jesus reconciles sinners, including me, including you, to God. Jesus reconciles sinners to God. So what we've been talking about, we talked about it last week a little bit. So what we've been talking about the last few minutes. Here's the thing, church. We've been discussing this concept of reconciliation, and, and it's truly incredible. But I want to make sure that we're on the same page as to what it means. It's a big word. It means to harmoniously change war into peace. It means to bring something back into harmony. So I'm going to see if this will help. If I can get a couple of band members to help me. All right, if you can come up, come up and help me with this real quick. Uh, I want to. I want. I was. I was hoping that they could help me out with an illustration. So, if if while worship is going on, we you know we were singing, we were doing some songs earlier. We got a few more to go before we leave out of here today. So if if while worship is going on, and and Jordan is is leading us, and he's he's playing along, and and he's he's playing this beautiful song that we're all going to sing to and we're all going to worship to and we're all going to praise God to um, and he's going to he's going to play these these key these chords he's going to he's going to play this and he's going to go and and what if while this is happening Jesse 
decides to just start playing some random chords on the keyboard. Right, and it's coming through the speakers, and you, and you hear this, but you also hear this. This is what dissonance sounds like. This is us. This, this is who we are. This is us living our lives in discord. You see, God has a beautiful song planned out for us, and we are creating chaos. We're going against everything, everything that he has called us to. But something being reconciled means that it's being brought back into harmony with the Lord. We're being brought back into harmony with the source. When God says that he is reconciling something, he is bringing it back into harmony with himself. This is what our lives has the potential to sound like. This is what God wants our lives to look like. Harmony. Us in step with him. Moving with him. Going with him. Being in harmony with him. That's reconciliation. As he reconciles us back to himself. Thank you so much. You guys are awesome. I hope that helps. I wanted to give you a vivid picture of what that looks like. What is he bringing back into harmony here in verse 20? Scripture says, peace. The Bible promises that God would bring your mind peace, that, that God would bring your heart peace, that God would bring your soul peace, but that is not what's actually being promised here. In this verse, it's actually something bigger and, and perhaps like a tad more interesting. God and Paul are saying here, I will reconcile all of creation to peace. Not just your heart, not just your mind, all of creation. I will bring it all, all of it into harmony with myself. Like that is really hard to imagine. Like that's just hard for me to wrap my mind around. Right? Because the, the world is so at war with itself. Is, isn't it kind of exhausting? Like, I feel like some, it's exhausting to be alive right now sometimes. Like, it's ridiculous. Everybody's yelling at each other all the time. It's crazy. Everything's got to be morphed into some political statement. Even things you don't say become political statements because you didn't say it. I know I'm not the only one that feels like this. I'm sure you've experienced this too. There's this feeling of dissonance in the world. Like, like this isn't right. It, it, it's not supposed to be like this. It wasn't supposed to feel like this. Everyone isn't supposed to be fighting all the time. But how wonderful that, that here in Colossians chapter 1, Paul and God himself are promising that through Jesus, he will reconcile all things to himself. That he will harmoniously bring back all things into perfect harmony with God the Father. As it was in the original creation. How amazing to think that someday we will, will live in a place and be in a place where cars don't need horns. Right? Like how amazing to think that you'll never have to like read a text and wonder if the person's upset and not saying it and trying to figure out the context of, of what they're saying. How amazing is that? How amazing that you'll never have to ask a person, are you okay? Because the answer will always be yes. Reconciliation. So this, this is the concept here. 
God promises to bring us peace. But this is way bigger and better than that. He's saying, I will bring them peace through Jesus Christ. I will bring the whole world back into harmony with God. And then what's he saying next? It doesn't even stop there. Uh, that's not the only thing he's going to reconcile. He's going to reconcile us. So, so the whole world, all of creation, everything we know, everything we see, everything we don't see, he's going to reconcile all of that. But then he gets specific and he says he's going to reconcile us, chosen ones, the Christians, the followers of Christ. He will reconcile us through God's death. And then what does it say? He's going to reconcile us to holiness, to, to blamelessness, in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. Now, I don't know. I don't know about you, church, but this is, these are powerful words of hope that we have as Christians. God is saying to you this morning, through the Apostle Paul, your life might be a mess. Things might feel completely wrong. God's going to bring all creation into harmony. But specifically to you, to Christians, to the followers of Christ, he will reconcile you to himself in holiness. Your holiness will be in harmony with God's holiness. Your blameless, blamelessness will be in harmony with God's blamelessness. Come on, somebody, and you will be above reproach. Never will anybody be able to say, uh, again, anything negatively against you because the past will be gone and the harmoniously reconciled, we will be harmoniously reconciled to be like God. People can try to talk. They can try to sow discord. They can try to bring dissonance, but God has reconciled. That's the hope that we have. That's the joy that we have. Verse 23. And if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Let's just read the first part of that for a second. Because what he says next is a conditional statement. All right, this is a conditional statement right here. Because he says the word if. You see that in your Bible or, or on the screen? He says the word if. Conditional statement. We will reconcile the world and we will reconcile you if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Just a couple things I want you to know here. There are no promises made to people who follow Jesus for a month. There are no promises of reconciliation made to people who follow Jesus for a year. Sad to say, I've known a few of these people. It's really easy to raise your hand and to walk forward in a church. It's hard to persevere to the end. But everybody who truly does it, truly has it. In fact, Paul isn't even saying that he doubts about their remaining faithful. Uh, the Greek construct here actually more resembles this phrase. At any rate, if you stand firm in the faith, and I'm sure you will. That's kind of the, that's actually the more, the closer Greek construct of what he's trying to say. And if you continue in the faith, and I'm sure you will. He's not being. He's not. He's not trying to trying to trying to sow doubt. He's not trying to say that he thinks that they're going to fall and they're going to stumble. So here's the positive application of Paul's words: the gospel doesn't work like magic, right? The mind, the heart, the will must all be involved. Our minds must feed on Christ and His Word. Our hearts are to focus on 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 Him in love. Our wills are to take their practice and their pattern from Jesus. So there's the now and then there's the, not, there's the not yet. Like he reconciles us believers now. He reconciles everything else later. And then here's the final part we're going to look at. 
Let's look at it together. Second half of verse 23. Uh, which has been pro- proclaimed in all creation. What's been proclaimed? The gospel. That's what he says. Uh, from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I want you to remember, uh, Paul was terrible. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was a part of killing Christians, and he became a servant of the thing that he was against. But he has now been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. He's living it out. He's a living example to the people he's writing to. It's so important, I think, that that all of us be reconciled to Christ. Without reconciliation, we will continue to be adrift in the cold seas. We will continue to be alienated from God, from creation, from others. You know, the word used in verse 21, the word for alienated was an unusually powerful uh, word, an unusually powerful word that indicated a persistent and permanent position. God wants to reconcile us, but we have to recognize that we need to be reconciled and then take a step toward that. Again, he's already done all the work for us. He's already done, he's, he's already done everything. And all we have to do is respond. He wants to reconcile us. He enjoys reconciling us. His son, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, it says in Hebrews 12. What God has in mind for us is the greatest vision ever conceived for any mortal. And there is only one thing to do. It's to say yes. When I'm talking about the gospel... powerful, reconciling methods of God, it always makes me wonder, is there someone here right now who doesn't believe in that? Is there someone in this theater, in this place that doesn't believe in that? Is there someone here who's living in disharmony with God? Is there someone here this morning who would take that reconciliation and allow God to to harmonize themselves with himself? That's the gospel, that's the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. That your parents might not have loved you as much as they should have, but God loves you. That your boss might not love you and your sister might not love you, but God loves you. That you can be forgiven, that it doesn't matter what you've been through, where you've gone and what you've done, that you can be forgiven. God is the only person who knows everything about you. And the only person who's capable of granting eternal forgiveness. You might have been a drug addict. You might still be one. You might have cheated on your taxes. You might have cheated on your spouse. You might have figured out that you don't fit in in this world. But you can fit here because you can be forgiven. And I just wonder, is there anybody in this room living in disharmony with God? Is there anybody in here that's living in disharmony? I think I want us to pray about that. I want to give people a chance to be like Paul, to, to be like what Paul said, to be reconciled to God the Father. So we're going to pray together. And I want to give you a chance to, 
to respond to the open call for free reconciliation. It only requires a couple of things. That you think you don't have to have it in you. The Bible says that you're a sinner. Basically what that means is that you really just don't think you can make it to heaven on your own because you messed up. And, that, and, that, and, and, and now you want to change that thought process and you want to believe in Jesus and follow him. That's it. It's, it's, it's that simple, really. It's, it's that people, people try to make it complicated. It's really not. It's kind of like the thief on the cross. I don't know if you know that story, but when Jesus was being crucified, a thief was dying beside him. And, 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 and he just, like, looked over at Jesus and he's like, man, my goodness, it, I'm terrible and you're awesome. And that was it. He's like, I've only got five minutes left in my life, but I want to follow you with it. Here's the thing, we have five minutes left. Maybe five weeks or maybe five months or maybe five years or five decades. We're not really sure. But that's the same opportunity that's before us today. And it's such a wonderful opportunity. So I want to give people a chance to be reconciled, to be put back into harmony with God the Father. And if that's something you want, if that's something you're desiring, if that's something he's calling you to, everybody's just going to put their head down right now. We're all going to pray together. Because at Legacy City Church, no one prays alone. So we're going to pray together and in a moment. But if you're feeling this pull right now, this indescribable tug toward God, if your heart is beating out of your chest and you're realizing, wow, I really need this. You know, who cares what people think and whatever. It's time to be reconciled. It's time to be put back into harmony with God. We're all going to pray, but I want you to speak truly and freely to God. So let's all pray this out loud. God, I'm a sinner. I've broken your law. I need your forgiveness that can only come through Jesus Christ. Reconcile me to yourself. Thank you, God. Amen. That's it. If you prayed that for the very first time and you meant it, then all of heaven is rejoicing today. And here's my next challenge for you is to tell somebody. We're going to have a longer time of prayer in just a moment. And I would love for any of you that just prayed that prayer and opened your heart up to God for reconciliation. In these next moments, during this next song, during the next prayer time, whatever it might be, to go out to the care room. There's some people there that would love to pray with you, that would love to pray over you, that would love to listen to you, that would love to celebrate with you. This isn't an embarrassing walk to come out of your seat and to go up the aisle and to, to go out of this room. That This, this is a walk that, that will be celebrated by angels in the highest and every person in this room every step of the way. The team in the care room would love to talk with you and pray with you and share some next steps. So let's worship God in this place. Let's praise him for who he is. And if you need to respond, take some time to respond.